0: Welcome to Three Thoughts On. I'm back here with my friend John. John, how are you doing? Happy Father's Day, a day early. Happy Father's Day to you, a day early. It's wonderful
1: to be back with you and uh, it's wonderful to uh, have our conversation again today.
0: So last time we talked about the building blocks of argumentation the building blocks of a good argument of a good discussion of a good debate we talked about ethos logos and pathos Uh, but obviously those are not the only components that's a foundation today we're going to talk about other components that build on top of those what can you tell us about those
1: So, we're going to talk about today uh, what what I like to call motivational methods, the gas and the oil of the arguments. Uh, We've talked about the structures. These are the elements that really push forward the argument uh, to sell it, for lack of a better expression. And what are we talking about? Kairos is one of those things, a Greek word, and telos is the other. Kairos is an appeal to timeliness, it's the timeliness of the argument. And telos is an appeal to purpose. And I like to couple them together because they're almost like twins. When you see one, you usually see the other. And uh, they're sometimes prepared for and sometimes spontaneous appeals to individuals. If we think about it, how it relates to ethos, pathos, and logos, it's that sometimes prepared, sometimes spontaneous seasoning to the ethos, logos, and pathos meal.
0: So timeliness and, or appeal to timeliness and appeal to purpose, meaning that uh, when, when we talk about kairos and timeliness, that we have to be aware of when is the right time to engage in an argument and debate? Is that what what the message is? Absolutely. It's
1: now is the time to say this. Now is the time to do this, and this is the reason why. That's why we usually couple Kairos and Telos together. Uh, from mythology, it's the Apollo and the Artemis. From the Star Wars movies, it's the Luke and the lair. They work together because uh, they have to sell the argument. You could prepare an argument. You can actually set it up. But really, is what is the selling point? And that's the Kairos uh, and the Telos. Uh, Let's go to Martin Luther King, uh, Jr. again. We can always go to him for a source of information here. This comes from his I Have a Dream speech from 1963. Now is the time to make real progress of democracy. Really powerful words. He's actually appealing to the audience to say now is the time. It's not last year. It's not next year. It's not tomorrow. It's now. And when you use the word now in a speech... And it's somewhat spontaneous. And you and I talked about this, that some of that speech was spontaneous, which is why it's effective in some ways. Uh, It really sells to the audience and they feel for it, though. What else was going on? And this is why we're bringing the purpose and the timeliness in. He's not just giving the speech over the radio. He's giving the speech at the Lincoln Memorial on the 100th anniversary, I believe, of the Emancipation Proclamation right after the March on Washington. You couldn't have picked a better time uh, to put forward this purpose
0: of the civil rights movement. So that's interesting. So it's, it sounds like also it's it's a bit more than just a timeliness, right? Because it's almost like there's has to be also a setting, right? Like that there's, a, there's a time, but there's also a place and a moment, right?
1: That's exactly right. It's an opportune time at an opportune place. And that's why we generally bring in Telos with it. It's an appeal to a certain thing to be done at a certain time for this reason. And I'm offering this to you, I'm pushing this to you under these circumstances. So setting is part of it too. It's not its own separate category, but setting usually accompanies timeliness and purpose here. And let's look at Thomas Paine. Uh, He wrote A Common Sense in, I'm sorry, 1776, during the Revolutionary War, early on during the Revolutionary War. And what does he write? The cause of America is in a great measure the cause of all mankind. He's associating that struggle, a colony's struggle against its mother country, uh, with mankind. He's actually putting everything together to say, if we don't succeed here, mankind fails.
0: Now, that's very interesting. So um, the... I keep thinking about what you said about the 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 timeliness and the setting. And I can't help but think, you know, going back to I mean we can come back to Thomas Payne in a minute, but you 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 mentioned Luke and Leia, right? And you know, Star Wars for those for those of you in the in the audience who who are fans of Star Wars. Um one of the big elements of of why Star Wars was so successful. Obviously, the scripting was very good. It was, but it was also a right time in, in in our cinematic history to have a movie like that, right? But it's also the music, a lot of the background music. So is that also part of the setting? We talk about the setting. Is is the time? Is the place? Is the opportunity? But in the case of movie making, music also plays a a, a giant role on how the message is going to come across.
1: Absolutely. If we look at it, anything that we read or we see is speech. We don't have to just listen to it. You and I love formal speeches. We talked about Martin Luther King's speech, but movie making is saying something. Uh, Putting something on the radio, on TV is saying something. So if we look at Star Wars, you had certain music, John Williams, brilliant. That was repeated in that movie if we look at jaws the music comes out when the shark is swimming and near you know if we look at music plays a very important role in movies the rocky movies for example that same really great rocky music comes out when he's training or when he's overcoming an obstacle during that train or even during the fight at that point when the music comes on we know something is about to happen and accuse us uh, accuse us in on it without the music the moment is lost in some ways.
0: That's interesting. So if we then take a step back and we go now to to, uh, non-cinematic experience, right? Whether, you know, we're giving a speech or we're having a conversation, we're having a a debate or an argument in the positive sense of the word with with a loved one or with a coworker or, or a neighbor, then I can't help to think that how we say what we say also matters, right? Maybe we, not, we may not have music around us. We may not have the ability to uh, to produce the moment. Um, but then how our intonation, you know, our body language, you know, that, that in my mind seems like it should also be part of the setting, right? Absolutely. Let's go back to these beginnings that we talked about. If we
1: go back to Aristotle, for example, he used these terminologies because he saw in everything that um, an animal has a certain nature. It has a certain purpose. That's where we're the telos in. And, you know, in terms of expressing that purpose, there's always a timeliness to it. He brought that into humanity and said, people should live virtuously and always strive for happiness. And what does that mean is take all that and say, this is what I'm seeking for this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm seeking. This is how I do it. And this is the right moment to do it in. Uh, let's look at Einstein, for example. His quote is the release of atom power has changed everything except our way of thinking. Einstein is someone who left this country. He, his brilliance was allowed us to develop the atom bomb, which in some ways was positive. If you look at it a certain way, it ended up stopping World War II But it ended up being dropped on a population and causing catastrophic losses at this point. So it created a huge moral quandary for Truman there at this point. Einstein realized this many years before that happened there. So he's realizing at that point something bad could happen with this technology. St. Paul, in a different way, if we look at St. Paul Christianity wouldn't be around if not for St. Paul. What he did was he took a very nascent, very early religion that was struggling in one part of the world, and he used Roman roads conveniently that were created throughout the empire, and he walked on those roads, and he took it to other parts of the Roman empire at that point, and he spread this religion. He actually wrote letters to certain individuals and certain communities to address certain issues there too. He sees the moment. He said, I'm going to write to the Thessalonians to address this issue here. I'm going to write to the Romans to address this issue here. Focusing in on the issues at the time and setting forth his purpose in doing so. I mean, we could use this all around. He's not going to parade that and say, this is why I'm doing this. Many times you're going to read the letters and understand that. But there's also spontaneity. We talked about the seasoning being prepared for and also spontaneous in this meal of ethos, logos, and pathos. Let's look at David Niven. You know, you and I talked about this at the 1974 Oscars, I believe it was, there was a streaker. He runs across the stage. And David Niven, in his brilliance, says that man just showed his shortcomings at this point. I know I'm paraphrasing (laughs) it, but that was the whole point of that, right? And then you have someone like uh, Churchill. Churchill's usually known for his catastrophic failures in World War I, uh, in terms of uh, Gallipoli, and his uh, tremendous ability to withstand a pounding by the Nazis in World War II. He's a very resilient individual. Many don't know he was a very comedic individual too. And it it may be apocryphal, but there is something quoted that he had an exchange with a Nancy Astor. And she said, sir, if you were my husband, I'd poison you. He responded, madam, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. You know, so it's sometimes you, you have to have that spontaneity to be able to get your point across. And if you don't get it across at a certain time, to a certain audience, you'll lose the moment. You had, you and I talked about Bill Clinton and Rabin and, uh, Arafrat. Why don't you tell the audience about that? I guess I'll become the interviewer for a second here. Tell us about (laughs) that.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh it's, it's a phenomenal documentary. Um, obviously, you know, uh, I always, you know, tell, you know, the audience and, and my friends that, you know you, we we always have to look at things from from multiple points of view and of course of the point of view of this documentary is from the point of view of of the Americans and they actually are very deliberate in saying that uh it's called The human factor and I believe is an amazon amazon prime uh but it's it's that is that that time where uh Clinton was trying to to figure out what everyone has been trying to figure out, which is the the Middle East uh, peace process, right? Every, everyone before him, everyone after him, has been trying to to crack this nut. And um, in the in the documentary, there's a moment where he he manages to have a, an audience, uh, and, and in the audience is obviously a mixed group of you know or you know Rabin's, uh, people and and and, uh, and from from his staff. Um, Uh, government officials, and of course, all the folks from the Palestinian side with Arafat. And according to the documentary, this is something that Clinton prepared for. You know, he he knew this was coming. There was a visit. He had written a speech. He had probably written it 15 times, evaluated it 15 other times. And when it comes time to actually deliver the speech, he goes offline and just starts talking. To to the audience, and you can see this in the video, uh, the effect that that his his words had on the on the audience. There were people who were teary eyed because you know he used a word, uh, not a word, a phrase, where he says that I'm, if, if I'm paraphrasing, I apologize, but something to the effect of, no one has the monopoly of pain and virtue, and when you talk to the people or you listen to the people. in in the documentary that were there, they were moved by this. And then they were even more surprised by the fact that none of this was written. This was not the speech that he was intending to deliver. Uh, He had other plans. He walked up there and somehow he realized that maybe... What he had in mind was not the right thing to say, given that setting, given that moment, given that opportunity, given the timeliness, and given the purpose or the goals that he was trying to achieve. And I think that even though uh, I wanted to kind of bring full circle to this, because even though we've been talking about, hey, you need to prepare for these types of engagements, you know, you need to understand about ethos, you need to understand about pathos, you need to understand about logos. And now we're introducing even more terms like kairos and telos, right? But at the end of the day, that preparation is what allows you to be better at being spontaneous uh, because sometimes we're going to have to be spontaneous. You know, we, we, if, if we prepare to talk to our kids at home, you know, we prepare to talk to a relative, they may say something that throws us off guard. And now what? Well, it is that preparation and that understanding of how to communicate and how to listen and how to speak and how to bring all these elements, these components that gives us an opportunity to be effectively at being being effective at uh, being spontaneous.
1: Let's look at a couple of other examples, Raphael, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the Bill Clinton example is a fantastic example of someone who went in there ready to give a speech, likely prepared by someone else because they do have speech writers, as everyone knows. And he saw the moment. He said, this is not the moment for those words. This is the moment for these words. And he and essentially ripped up the speech and gave a speech from the heart and he was able to do so seizing the moment seizing the room at that point Uh, let's look at a couple of other examples where a moment is seized and it's capitalized on and unfortunately turned around or twisted you and i have talked about very positive ways to use ethos logos and pathos and we've talked about positive ways to use kairos and telos But there are also negative ways. George Orwell, I think one of the greatest writers out there, wrote uh, 1984. I think everyone's aware of it. It speaks to the fears of a totalitarianism. uh, And it speaks to the fears of what happens in one of those societies. And part of the fear is you just don't know who is going to turn on you. You just don't know who your friend is. And you don't know what's going to happen if that friend is going to turn you in and sacrifice you for the state and for that individual's own good. That's what happens essentially in 1984. Big brother is everywhere and you should have known that you shouldn't have trusted uh, this individual. Unfortunately, it played out in real life. We had a red scare, remember, in the 1950s. McCarthy was seeking out, and he had a lot of support at the time. He was seeking out supposed communists in the state government in governmental positions but also in hollywood and he was putting them before congress berating them and uh, almost trying to squeeze admissions out of everyone he believed and his staff believed may have been communist and it took an attorney you know we talk about attorneys having a bad rap sometimes they have a good rap you know the kill all the attorneys thing we could talk about in shakespeare was actually a positive thing because you want to kill all the attorneys because they're the last bastion of justice there. And what happens in, uh, 1954, I believe is an attorney, Joseph Welsh, who's retained to represent someone who is accused of being a communist. And after letting McCarthy go on his tirade, he ends with saying, let us not assassinate this lad further. Senator you've done enough. Have you no sense of decency? How powerful is that? That's an attorney who didn't write out that speech. He didn't know that at that part of the hearing, McCarthy was going to say that thing. He says it. It's on TV. Remember, TV is still a relatively new thing in the 50s. It's on TV. People are seeing it. And you know what it does? It kills that moment. It kills McCarthyism. It kills that faux hearing where you're trying to figure out who's a communist and who isn't. There it is. It's the kairos and it's the telos playing out from literature through our Senate proceedings.
0: Do you, you have examples of that? You know, in, in your in your life, I mean, it's it seems like uh, like you said he was an attorney and he was probably you know over prepared for that hearing. I mean, this is again in the in the in the time of McCarthy and you know the card carrying communist you know nonsense that he. Um, that he did back in the day. So it, it, it it's fair to say that this gentleman was well-prepared, but then he went off script as a result of something that happened, you know, and you as an attorney probably have had to do that at some point in your career where you're, you're you know, you have a case, you know, you're ready to go. And, oh my God, I have to, uh, I have to go off script here based on what I'm seeing.
1: It happens more than you'd like it to happen, Rafael. Uh, and it happens at trial. Uh, your witness is prepared to say certain things. Uh, they have to say it their own words. They have to be their own selves on the stand. You can't turn someone into something. They have to present the story through their own selves. And you've gone through it many times. And then they say the exact opposite. You have a judge, you're expecting a certain ruling on a thing, and the judge surprises you with another ruling. You have an adversary who takes a surprising position that allows you. To actually step up and actually cross examine on an issue you didn't believe you had, which was helpful to your case. And it goes both ways. That's why I give a lot of credit to fellow trial attorneys because you have to be on your feet waiting sometimes for that opportune moment to seize on it that could make or break your case that sometimes you're not preparing for. Again, that's the spontaneity of it combined with the preparation for the case.
0: Oh, no, and and doesn't that speak to life itself? I mean, this is this is exactly why why you, you and I have ha, are investing the time to have these conversations and share them with the people because yeah, you know, up to this point, people may be like, oh yeah, okay, you're talking again about Aristotle again, again about MLK, again about this and that. But let's zoom out for a moment, right? That that you just described is just real life. You know, I get up in the morning with a certain set of expectations, right? I have a model in my mind, you know, and neuroscience talks at length about this. You know, you have a model in, uh, of, of, of the world uh, and in that, in that model is is your wife and kids or ex-wife and, you know, neighbors and relatives and, and coworkers. And in that model is traffic, right? And you expect a certain amount of traffic a certain amount of times. And when you get to the office, you, you have, ex- it's all about expectations because that's how the brain works. And guess what happens? More often than not, things do not unfold the way we expect them. And then what do we do? We get frustrated and we get angry and we get depressed and, and we react, you know, uh, at times in a way that is non conducive to progress. And what we're trying to say here is, is and you, you can, you can, you know, add to this if, 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 if you agree, is through the art. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say something through the art and science of argumentation, the way that the Greeks have have taught us, you can engage into a process of constructing arguments and debates and conversations using the foundations that we discussed last time, plus the new elements we've discussing today, to create a model that goes beyond argumentation it goes beyond you know the the courtroom it goes beyond you know congress it actually expands not only to your relationships you know your conversations with family but how you approach life itself how do you approach you know the example of you know last week those those folks that were on i95 heading to work or heading to wherever and then that explosion blows off that segment of 95 near philly right there's two types of people there right those who say okay it's time to it's time to pivot right it's time to go do something it's time to start you know adjusting to this unexpected event right and there's others that may not do that that may just complain and they just freeze and then be upset about the situation that they can't change right so i would argue <laughs> key word there i would argue that in the process of taking the time and being prepared to having healthy discussions, intelligent conversations, a wholesome debate, OK? A powerful argumentation. You're not only learning, or we're not only learning how to communicate better amongst ourselves. I would argue that we're learning how to live better, too. Absolutely. Uh, I absolutely agree with everything you just said.
1: Remember, Aristotle said humans should seek happiness. He didn't say they were always going to find it. And we wouldn't be talking about Aristotelian models if everyone was thinking the same thoughts, acting the same way, and having the same purpose. There are different, varying purposes that are constantly being crossed uh, in our world at this point. Uh, I think it was Albert Camus who actually looked at the Sisyphean model, um, mythology and spun it. For the audience's purpose, uh, Sisyphus was a titan that was uh, banned by Zeus uh, because he was a titan and he fought against the gods. And the curse was to, for the rest of his life, because they were immortal, the titans were immortal just like the gods were, according to mythology, for the rest of his life to roll a boulder up the hill, to have it fall back down and to keep rolling that up. You know, you think of these, some of these punishments by Zeus, terrible, you know, depressing life, that's nothing. Camus took that and said, let's imagine Sisyphus happy and smiling. And I think that's what we want to do here. We want to welcome adversity. We want to welcome spontaneity. We gave some examples beforehand. Sometimes spontaneous responses give us the best comedic moments, the best cinematic moments, the best political moments. And the best literary moments, too.
0: No, I like that a lot. And it 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 did, you know, it did remind me of of something that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said uh, recently at a, in an interview. Because as you were talking about how, how Camus took something that evidently looks painful, right? And he's trying to observe it from a different point of view. And he's not only trying to observe it from a different point of view. He's trying to show us that it is possible to observe it to a different point of view. Okay. And one of the, one of, one of the things that, you know, this, this podcast is very new. You know, I I of course, have all intentions for this to, to keep going for, for as long, for as long as I can, but I I've gotten some, a little bit of feedback, you know, and all feedback is always welcome. All feedback is always welcome. I can always learn from, from, from compliments as well as from criticism. One one there was a feedback that I got a couple of weeks ago on a particular episode and the feedback was well finally an episode of a topic that I can use, right? And it reminded me of what you were saying, it reminded me of that which reminded me of Neil deGrasse Tyson saying why do people think that studying calculus or studying biology or studying chemistry is useless when you're in high school if you intend to be an attorney, right? You know, you, you became an attorney, right? I became an engineer. We went to the same high school, taking the similar AP classes, right? We went through the same process. And what I what I want to share with people is is when you engage in these types of mental processes and procedures, you're really wiring your brain to deal with adversity. In a positive way. You know, it is not that you're going to study chemistry because you intend to be a chemist. And if you don't intend to be a chemist, then it's useless. No, it's it's because if you apply yourself to try to solve those chemistry problems or those AP calculus problems, your brain is being exercised in a way to solve problems and to deal with adversity. So when I am here having this conversation with you about it should be important to us to care about the quality of our conversations. It should be important for us to care that we do as, as good of a job as uh, uh, in listening as we do in speaking. It should matter that we look for the right setting, the right opportunity, the right time. It should matter that we construct and think about how we're going to say what we're going to say instead of just blurting it out. All these things should matter, not just because we wanna be effective at communicating or we wanna be effective at being a good listener. But because the moment we engage in that process, we're training our brain to make that the norm. And the moment that becomes a norm, we have the opportunity to observe life through a different lens. What do you think of that? You're absolutely right. You nailed it. The purpose has to be
1: tested, it has to be vetted, And uh, if you're found wanting with the purpose, the audience will not respond to it. You could prepare all you want. You could set up your argument in a way that it's going to be equal in the ethos, pathos, and logos. But if the purpose isn't there, it's going to fall apart. No one is going to respond to it. If Clinton had given the speech that was prepared for him, I don't think it would have ended with the same result. Now, that speechwriter, I'm sure at the end of it, went up to Clinton and was very happy that Clinton decided to not give that speech, even though it was probably a well-written speech. Remember, things could be well-written. They could be well-rehearsed. But if there's no feeling there, you know, this is why we talk about Kairos and Telos. If there's no feeling there, if there's no purpose there that someone could snatch onto, and if, if it's the wrong time to say that, then the argument's going to fall apart regardless of how structured it is. You can have a very well-built car, but if there's no oil and no gas in it, it's not going to go anywhere. Let's look at some other examples here too. We talked about, uh, I think in, in prior podcasts, we've talked about same-sex marriage, for example. Summer of 2015 was a perfect opportunity to start talking again about same-sex marriage. It started getting momentum Biden, to his credit, actually uh, was uh, fueling part of that with uh, Obama, convinced them, let's move this thing along. And it led to those uh, very favorable decisions. It was the right time to bring this up again. We're very far beyond the Defense of Marriage Act now at this point and the thought process that went into the Defense of Marriage Act. Now this is a different court. It's a different time the individuals who are watching out for this are feeling differently about the case. What else do we have? Gun control. You know, well prepared. For many years, people have been talking about gun control. A lot of legislation has been passed on it, some temporarily successful, ban on assault weapons. When does it always come up when a mass shooting happens? Now, that's an example of something that's very sad. Does it take a mass shooting? to remind individuals that we could better some of our gun laws. And I know there are arguments on both sides to that as to whether or not it's applicable, whether there's a false premise, whether stricter gun laws would have prevented the shooting. But you have to seize the time because if not for the mass shooting, and it's very sad to say this, sometimes you forget about it. You go on with your life, you deal with your own adverse issues, and you don't think about what's important for the day at this point. Citizens United, huge decision, not only because it gave a corporation and sanctioned free speech for a corporation, it led to Hobby Lobby. It led to that corporation now claiming, in addition to free speech, we should be given free expression and uh, religious freedom at the same time, too. Well, these are branches from very important moments that happen at a certain time and they wouldn't have happened unless someone thought that now is the time to raise this argument politically, socially, economically, cinematically, literally, literally, raise the moment now.
0: Oh, I like I like what you said, and what I wanna what I wanna make sure that I uh, that I share with with the audience is that you, you gave their three solid examples of three. Uh, controversial issues at the time, which are probably still controversial in the minds of many people. Um, The purpose here is not to take a side in any one of those. The purpose here is there are intelligent conversations that could be had in each one of these issues. If we take the time to understand the foundations of proper argumentation and the foundations of proper debate and the foundations of the way that the Greeks taught us how to communicate and how to listen. So that the outcomes can then be timely, uh, that they can have a purpose, uh, and they can advance society. So uh, you know, it's it's to call in a call in, in a sense to let's do the work, let's really do the work at starting at home, having better quality conversations with our with our loved ones, having better quality conversations with our our neighbors and our families and relatives and our and our coworkers and so forth, and then demand. From those who are public officials to have those same types of quality conversations, which is, you know, something that we, we seem to be lacking you know today uh, uh, in this day and age. So I really, really like th- those three examples, because again, it doesn't matter which side you stand. all we're saying is a good argument should have as a minimum, these components that we're discussing here so that we can actually move forward instead of staying stagnant.
1: And remember also, you're absolutely right. Remember also, politicians are humans. Politicians have their own local specific issues that they're dealing with. Family issues, social issues. They're humans. I always think of judges being humans too. They're not just automatons who are sitting up at the bench uh, wearing black robes and making decisions uh, like they would robots. If we look at another example here too, let's look at genetic engineering and let's look at AI. We wanna make sure that everyone understands that you and I are on top of even current issues too. Where is the, where's the ethical approach to that? Where's the morality to that too? Now, uh, all those studies that were going into uh, genetic engineering, uh, into AI, we have to put the brakes on them because the experts in those fields are saying, this could be a problem. You know, we could have a situation where we lose control over our creation here. It's the modern Frankenstein. You have the created becoming uh, the master of the creator at this point. And it's something to think about. You know, have we gone too far with our technology? Have we gone beyond uh, where we were supposed to go? Uh, I, I think I told you this. I'm reading... Um, Paradiso. now i finished inferno and uh odysseus in mythology is my favorite character because of his wiliness because of his ability to be sagacious at times to figure things out i think he was the smartest of the greeks in the trojan war what dante does is he takes odysseus and he turns him into an overachiever to the point where he had to be struck down it's the typical if you overreach god usually it's zeus in mythology throws a lightning bolt at you and brings you back down to earth. And what happened was Odysseus tried to overreach. He couldn't stay with Penelope in Ithaca. He decided to go out, take a bunch of individuals, and they tried to sail past the pillars of Hercules to where no individual went. And it was too far. And a big tidal wave came and drowned them. And he ends up in Inferno from Dante's standpoint because he overreached and he didn't recognize the limit of uh, religion at that point. He can't get there that way. He has to go through the long way, which Dante's going through. I can't get to paradise unless I take the long, hard route. And Virgil is his companion for most of it, but he doesn't take him into paradise because human reason only gets you so far. There has to be a spirituality. And Dante saw that as being uh, divine right here. There's a connection with God there at this point. We have to recognize that, too. And I think in some ways I'm thinking about the AI here, too. We have to be careful of overreaching because we don't want to turn society into a situation from the Terminator. I mean, it's it's a cinematic exaggeration of what could happen. But with the way some of the experts are speaking now, maybe it's not. Maybe we have to slow down and recognize that we're not gods here, even though sometimes we think we are.
0: And to bring that all together to to the topic here is again is the ability to to be able to have those conversations, to be able to listen, to be able to to persuade. You know, we talked about persuasion in the past. You know, we talked about all these elements and all the foundations. So I guess to close, you know, I guess the call to action is is let's continue uh, breaking down the elements of intelligent and elegant conversations so that we can then address these these issues, you know, whether the, the, the ones that we discuss or, or AI, they're real. And it's going to require just as real as are the conversations at home. You know, our, our youth is being exposed to uh, a very um, overwhelming amount of stimuli that the, our primitive brain is not really well designed to handle. And it requires that preparation. It requires that conversation. It requires that listening. It requires that observation. It requires that timeliness and the purpose and the setting. All the things you have you have taught us about John, in order to have any hope at being able to come out of that with something positive, right? So, I guess I'll we'll, we'll close with a call to action. Let's let, let's continue thriving to rewire our brains to have a better and better conversations.
1: Everything you said there, I absolutely agree. Just to add to that, I think we're losing touch with having the time to break down an argument. This whole, the whole reason for this podcast is to uh, remind individuals that just because something is told to you uh, that you should believe it. Really, I think we're into the mindset of let's break it down, let's figure out is it working for me? Do I have a problem with it? Is it based on a false foundation? And just to close for a little bit, you know, this is going to take us through some of the audience examples later on. You know, we can always go back to Lincoln Douglas debates very quickly. for There, they happened. Uh, you know, we have the timeliness and we have the purpose there. What do we have? We have two individuals. We have a senator uh, and a, uh, a potential presidential candidate who are debating each other in the late 1850s. I think it was August to October of 1858. What are they battling over? Slavery and its extension into the territories. And there are two sides to that. At the time, the audience is listening for hours to these two individuals. There's no technology. There's no TV there. They have to go down these dusty roads, and they have to listen to these individuals, each give a point of view, Uh, speak for an hour, respond for an hour, state the reasons for your argument and listen to it. And many times we don't realize, uh, Raphael, that those individuals in those communities many times uh, were a lot more educated on sentence structure, on argumentation, because they heard it all the time. They recognized when someone made a point. They recognized when someone stepped in with a spontaneous point and they responded to it. I think we're losing that. And unfortunately, I think we have to remind ourselves that We have that. We're humans and we have to actually look look and listen to humans, not listen to TV screens, uh, not glue ourselves to someone else telling something through a talking point. Take the time to read something to understand it. Speak with your loved ones. Find the right moment to speak with your son or daughter about college and where they want to go. Find the right time to speak with your partner about something in your relationship that might be bothering you. Uh, Don't put it off. It, It It's really, it's addressing the moments for the now. This is the timeless. Address it now with purpose. And um, I think you'll be happier in the long run when you do that.
0: Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, Once again, John, thank you so much for your time and for your insight. It's always a pleasure. And you make sure you have a wonderful Father's Day tomorrow. Thanks, Raphael. Happy Father's Day. And happy Father's
1: Day to all of the uh, audience members.